0: The following audio is from First Baptist Church of Conyers. More information about First Baptist Conyers is available at firstconyers.com. There's something that everybody in the whole world is, is really looking for. It's not just limited to our geographical region, but if you go out of our state, if you go out of our country, if you go all around the world, you'll find that in every culture, every demographic, that there are people that are looking for the same thing. It's a universal desire that we all have, that God has placed in us, that we desire to know love and what true love really is. I did a Google search this week to find out what the most popular, I had a hunch, and to find out what the most popular topic Of songs that have been written in the last 20th and 21st century, and overwhelmingly, somewhere around 80% of the songs that have been written were on the topic of love. One of them that I found was that we all need love. All you need is, hey, but unfortunately, many of us are looking for love in all of the Oh, man, that worked, didn't it? It's a universal desire, and it's a universal need that, that all of us have. Unfortunately, those of us who are looking for love in all the wrong places usually find that at the end of that journey, at the end of that quest, and what we thought was going to bring us that sense of love and belonging and, and that experience of love have only left us empty. Marketers know very well that they can market anything they're trying to sell by trying to connect to it, that feeling or that sense of love that we all long for. It can be whether they're marketing a great career. I saw a military advertisement the other day, believe it or not, and I wanted to puke when it was talking about love being found in the military. Now, I found love in the military, right? But they know very well how to market that to cause us to want to purchase their product. They, they market success. They market stuff that, that we really don't need, and we find ourselves overloaded in debt because we just thought it was going to fill that void. And while there is a universal desire that all of mankind, high, mankind has to know love, there is a universal solution or answer that's given to that, and it is in God and God alone, That's the only place that we're going to find a real fulfillment of love is knowing God's love and experiencing God's love. John writes, the beloved John, the one whom Jesus loved, he refers himself to. In his first letter to John chapter 4 verse 8, he describes God this way where he says God is love. I don't misunderstand what John is saying here. He's not saying that, that love is God. There are many today that are just looking for love, and somehow or another they make love their God, but what he's saying is there is an attribute that permeates all of the being of God, and if you want to know what love is, it's found in the expression of who God is, that God is love. I find in my life, though, there, there's a major disconnect because I can cognitively grasp the love of God. And I can see the Scriptures that are written of the love of God, but I often, I often have a hard time translating that from here to here. And God not only wants you and I to know His love, to know that He loves us unconditionally, but God also desires that you and I experience His love. I'm not talking about feelings because feelings, nothing, I got on the song kick this morning, but feelings can be very deceiving, right? But the fact is that God loves us and God being an emotional being in that sense that He has emotions and He's created us in His image, God desires that we experience His love. I can remember when I first began to get an inkling of what it meant for the Father's love for me. It was in 1985, September the 13th, when I looked through that hospital window and saw this September 12th, sorry, September 12th, and saw this little baby girl on the other side of the glass, <laughs> I'm in trouble, and, and all of a sudden I got a glimpse of what the Father's love was for me. Any of you have been a father or a mother, you know that very well. And throughout the years of being a father, I, I, I have this incredible love for my kids that, that I just can't explain, and I think me being a fallen man, broken, if I can love to that extent, how much more does God love me? And then I got a little more glimpse of that love, and that's when I became poppy. Can I get an amen to that? just a glimpse of how God loves us. How do we explain God's unfailing love? The Bible uses a word in the Greek New Testament to explain this love that God has for us. It's the word agape. We find it also in the Greek translation of the Hebrew, where it explains God as an agape kind of love. In the Greek, for those of you who don't know, there were three Greek words that were used to describe love. One was a an eros kind of love. It was that that. Uh, I get embarrassed talking about this. It's that that eros, that that erotic kind of love that that we might have. The other is is phileo. It's the city of Philadelphia is named after that. It. It's the city of It's that kind of I, I love my Dogs, I love hot dogs. I love all those kinds of things, and explain that. But there was a love that was that was set apart, and in the scriptures, it's only attributed to God's love, and it's that that unconditional, unmerited, unfavored, unexpressible kind of love that God has for you and I. When we look in scripture and we see this word used to describe God's kind of love for us, we find that that God's, God's love for us in being agape love, it's a giving God. It's a sacrificial kind of love. It's an unconditional love. It's a boundless kind of love. It's immeasurable as we see Scripture defines it. One definition given for God's love is God's willful direction toward man It involves God doing for man what he knows is best for man and not necessarily what man desires. You see, sometimes my desires and and what I would like for God to do for me out of his love, he's not always going to give me my desires. And sometimes as as I look back through life, I'm so glad that God did not give me what my desires were, but God loves me in that such unconditional way that God always expresses that in a sacrificial way. Somebody said this, agape love is giving another person what they need the most when they deserve it the least at great personal cost. That's God's agape love. John in his letter describes it this way in chapter 4 verse 10 in this, that that this is love, not that we have loved God, but that He loved us and sent His Son to be a propitiation or a payment or a wrath satisfier for our sins. You see, it wasn't that God looked down one day and he said, oh, Jamo's expressing some love for me, so now I'm going to give my love back to him. No, it was while, while I was sinful, while I was lost in my sin, separated from God, bound for an eternity in hell, that God loved me and God loved you, and he expressed that love to you and to me, just as we were in that condition, and he saved us. Paul describes it this way in Romans chapter 5, verse 8. He says, but God shows His love for us, and that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Can I tell you this this morning? If you've trusted Christ as your Savior, God does not love you any more today than He did the day before you trusted Him for your, as your Savior. You see, God's love extends. It's who He is. It's in His nature. It's His attribute. God can't help but love. But God knows. And we know and understand that to experience that love is to trust Christ as a payment for our sins. I love what Mark Hearn writes in his book, Technicolor, which, by the way, we're meeting tonight at 5 o'clock, Technicolor Group. Mark Hearn writes this, God didn't wait for us to get right with Him before He would love us. He loved us so that we would be right with Him. A.W. Tozer says this about God's agape love, and the fact that that God never changes, He he never increases or decreases in His love, God does not turn off His other attributes in order to express love. I don't know about you, but it's hard for me to express love in my wrath. This is going to hurt you a whole lot more than it hurts me, right? (laughs) Right? But God is is, is so capable of expressing all of His attributes and who He is constantly and consistently where they don't waver at all. And Tozer writes this, he says, because God is self-existent, His love has no beginning. Because He is eternal, His love can have no end. Because He is infinite, it has no limit. Because he is holy, it is the very substance of all spotless purity. Because he is immense, his love is an incomprehensibly vast, bottomless, shoreless sea before which we kneel in joyful silence and from which the loftiest eloquence retreats confused and abashed. What Tozer is making the point of in this is that the very substance, the very makeup of God is that He is love. And His love does not negate His holiness. His love does not negate His justice. His love does not delete His or water down His goodness. His love is expressed in His wisdom towards us. All of these things we've been looking at as the real God, they're all working together in one because God is who He is. Four brief things I want to share with you this morning about God's love and, and what it means for you and I. Statement number one is this, His thoughts, His intentions, His desires, and his plans for you are always for your good and never for your harm. Let me read that again. God's thoughts, intentions, desires, and plans for you are always for your good and never for your harm. In the existence and life that we live, there are a number of things that can always harm us, right? I mean, there are certain fears that we have, and and a lot of times we go around, there's there's the fear of the the economy perhaps collapsing. I learned this week that most of us have lost about a third of anything we may have had in our retirement account in the last year. And we're afraid. What's gonna happen? There's fear of disease, there's fear and social unrest, there's crime. But what we typically have a tendency to do when these fears come of these things in life that, that we see could harm us, we try to risk management those things. We, we try to implement ways to protect us and guard our lives from those things that may harm us. And oftentimes we find us ourselves living a life of fear but I'm telling you, knowing the love of God will cause us to trust Him even in the midst of those various circumstances. You see, the Bible says, as Sarah quoted earlier this morning in First John 4:18, that "perfect love cast out all fear." That if we believe and hold on to and experience and know that God loves us, we will know that there's absolutely nothing that can come our way in our life that God has intended for harm. But God is sovereign, and because He's sovereign, He knows and He He acts and He moves in a way so that we might experience and know His love. To know God's love is the only way that I can cast all fear. Someone said this. God is love, and God is sovereign. God is love, and God is just. God is love, and God weaves the tapestry of my life by his providence. God is love. And God is holy, God is love, and God is wisely directing my life. And so we see everything that that God does in our lives, we see everything of who God is and how He expresses that, it is encompassed by His great love. Tozer said this, His love disposes Him to desire everlasting welfare towards you, and His sovereignty enables Him to secure it. The second statement I want to make is this that out of God's love, what it means for us is that He is kind. God is open. God is approachable. God is frank, and He is eager to be your friend and my friend. God's open. And it's not as if God just sits and waits for us to come to Him. But as we've already seen, God draws us. God expresses His love towards us, and He's always there with open arms for us to come into His presence. God is not only just open, but God is very approachable. While we do reverence God and we acknowledge Him as a holy God, we have to recognize that in that, another part of His nature and character of His love, He desires for you and I to come and to be in fellowship with Him. Jesus said this, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. My yoke is easy and my burden is light. You see, God calls us to come to him. I don't know if you're ever like me. When, when, you're, when you don't experience or you're not experiencing God's love, that it's difficult for you to come to Him. Is anybody like that? Sometimes I have this feeling that I've got to grovel to God, that I've got to crawl my way back, or I've got to perform a certain way so that He might accept me. Listen, beloved, we are already accepted by Him in Christ Jesus because of His shed blood for us. The writer in Hebrews says that we can approach the throne of God, come into His presence boldly without any reservation, and in that coming to Him, we can find grace and mercy to help us in our time of need. I'm convinced some of us here this morning haven't come to God in a while because you've got that thing in the back of your brain that says you're not measuring up. And I tell you, that's a lie from the devil. You see, not measuring up may break my fellowship with God, and it's not as if God cuts us off. It's God warning us to come to him and lay that at his feet and say, God, I need you every hour of the day. Love the old hymn we used to sing. I need thee every hour, most gracious Lord. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I need thee, oh, I need thee. Every hour I need thee. Oh, bless me now, my Saviour. I come to. You. Some of you need to come to him this morning. Know that He loves you. He's warning you. I made in the statement that that God is frank with us. You know, I want a friend that's going to tell me what I need to hear. I've got a couple of them, and I'm married to one of them. (laughs) You see, I don't want somebody just to spray perfume on my circumstance. I want somebody to tell me, J-Mo, you're making a big mistake. I love you, but you're making a big mistake. Can I tell you that God will never blow in your ear to make you feel good about what you're doing? Why? Because He loves us. It's out of His love. It's His kindness, the Bible says, that leads us to repentance. God's never going to tell you that something's okay if it's not okay. Why? Because He loves you. And through our lives, we bring Him glory and obedience to Him. This thing of being God's friend. Now, I'm sure Abraham may be a little bit like may have been a little bit like I am. It's hard for me to think of God as being my friend, and I don't know that Abraham would have said, God is my friend, but it's spoken of in Scripture three different times that Abraham was considered to be the friend of God. Jesus, with His own disciples, Jesus God, very God, while His disciples may not have once they recognized who he was, may not have said, yeah, I'm, I'm a friend of Jesus, but Jesus himself called them his friends. In that passage where he speaks of his disciples being his friends, in that next chapter, John 15, he says, greater love has no one than this, than someone lay down his life for his friends. Now, it would be going a little bit far if I considered him my Bubba friend, right? My Ray Ray friend. The intimacy of God towards us in his love, he expresses himself as our friend, keeping in mind who he is. The third thing I want to say, and and you got to bear with me a little bit. I couldn't I couldn't put the words exactly right in this, so some of you might send me an email on it. But hear me out. God emotionally identifies with your pain, your joy, your hopes, and your dreams. And here's the part that I couldn't word exactly right. He has chosen to allow your fulfillment or your happiness to affect his own. Now, before you jump on me and say, God, we can, how can we affect God's happiness? Shortest verse in Scripture. Jesus said, what? You think Jesus didn't connect with Mary and Martha and Lazarus and their pain and sorrow? The loss. Yet the Bible tells us that Jesus wept. His his love, that is the God that we serve, the God that's holy, connects. Hebrews chapter 4 verse 15 says that we don't have a high priest who's unable to sympathize with our weakness or have sympathy for us in that or relate to it, but one who in every respect, has been tempted or tested as we are, yet He is without sin. Last statement I want to make is this, God takes pleasure in you just for who you are, totally apart from your performance and or your accomplishments. You know, one of the the leading causes or triggers… In young people today that go on to commit suicide or take their own life is because of the rejection or abuse or harassment that they experience on social media. You ever check your post to see how many likes you got? Has your day ever been great or horrible, depending on how many likes you got. You see, the world's telling us that. We've got to be this, or we've got to be that. We've got to be successful. We have to live to a certain standard. We have to have a certain degree of education, all of these different things that the world tries to tell us so that we might be accepted. God says, listen, I have created you, and I've made you in my image, and I've made you just the way that you are, and I have a purpose for you because of the design, the way that I've made you, and I want to bring glory to myself by by using you in that, and I want you to be content, fulfilled, and being used the way that I've created you and made you to be. And listen, God loves you just as you are. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not of your own doing. It is a gift of God, not a result of your works, so that no one May boast. I used to have the idea that I could merit God's greater degree of love by doing more for God. The best way I can illustrate it was one day I had this image that came to my mind and I was running in so many directions in different ways and, and, and each thing that I was doing, serving God, trying to trying to connect with that acceptance with Him, it was like a plate being on a stick and, and you know, you, you add another stick with a plate on top of it and you add another stick with a plate on top of it and you're spinning the sticks to keep the plates going and, and all of a the sudden there were so many sticks I was trying to spin that the whole thing collapsed. You can never increase God's love for you by doing more for Him. Now, He has called us, He has gifted us that we might serve Him, and it's a joy to do that. But if you're here this morning and and you're on that hamster wheel of trying to be accepted by God, listen, you are accepted by Him, again, by the blood of Christ. And there's absolutely nothing that can separate us from that. Paul says this in Romans chapter 8, verses 38 and 39, For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all of creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. It's fixed it's settled. Now, there's a caveat to that, hear me out, and it's found in the first verse of that same chapter where God talks about His inexpressible, His magnanimous love for us. When Paul begins this, this whole diatribe of God's love, he says, there is therefore no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You see, the world likes to create this God that that is a God of all love and is not a God of justice or is not a God that is holy. You see, that in context is written for those who have placed their trust in Christ Jesus. Now, what do I mean when I say they have placed their trust in Christ Jesus? In case you're here and you don't know that, it is that We are all sinners, and our sin has separated us from God. We are marred. It's a disease all the way to the very core of it. And because God is just, God must punish sin. And you recognize or you acknowledge that there's absolutely nothing that you can ever do to erase any of the sin that you've committed in your life. You're you're sinning against God. You're violation of His law and His command. The Bible says that our righteous acts are like filthy rags in God's sight. There's absolutely nothing that you and I can do to erase the slate. That's why God sent His Son, for God so, we sang the song, for God so loved the world that He did what? He gave His Son, and whoever would trust in Him, trust in His work, and His work was that He lived a sinless life, fulfilled all of the law and the requirements of God, and in our place, He was beaten, He was spit upon, he was abused, and He was hung on a cross, and He shed His blood, and as He was hanging on the cross, all of your sins and my sins were placed on Him, and God exercised His wrath, His justice towards you and I in His Son, Jesus. And He was buried, and He rose again on the third day. And the Bible says that if we will place our trust, our faith, our belief in His work, we will be saved that's how we become in Christ it's not going to church it's a good thing it's not reading our Bibles that's a good thing it's not prayer that's a good thing all of those things will not get us into a fellowship and relationship with God for all of eternity it's only by trusting Jesus. Billy Graham said it. He said the greatest mission field in America is on Sunday morning in the Baptist church. Because for years we've made good church men and good church women check the box. Do all these things. And then it becomes just a social kind of thing. It becomes a, a, a national identity that, yeah, I'm a Christian. Jesus said you must be born again, born from above. The only way for that to happen is to trust in Christ. Now, how do we experience this love of God? Three quick points. Number one, if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ, you've never placed your trust in Him, you cannot experience His love until you come into fellowship and relationship with Him through Christ. I'm going to ask you at the close of the service, if you've never trusted Christ, to come meet me right here in the front. Tell me that you want to trust Christ today and you want to be born again so that you might know Him and have the forgiveness of your sins. Number two is this. If you're already a believer you need to, and you've not been experiencing or resting in the love of God, you need to confess and repent of not exercising your trust in His love. And I'm at the top of the list of that. It's one thing to know the love of God. It's another thing to know the love of God. Lastly, in response, I'm giving all of you a homework assignment. They get a amen for that? I want you to stand with me right now. I want you to take open your Bibles. Or I want you to take your phone. I'm old school. I like her turning the I like hearing the pages turn. Amen. And I want you to turn to Psalm 136. And we're going to read this Psalm as a responsive reading this morning. But here's here's your assignment. I'm going to ask each and every one of you to start every morning this coming week. Reading, listening to, if you're driving on your commute, on your Bible app, or if it's in the evening when you sit down, I want every one of us in this room every day to read this psalm, and not only read it, but stop and meditate and think on it and chew on it, and I promise you next week when we get to part B of this message, we will experience the love of God through the week by His Word and the Holy Spirit of God. You'll notice at the end of each one of these verses in my translation says, For his steadfast love endures forever. So, what I'm gonna do, I'm gonna read the first half of the verse, and you are gonna respond to that with his steadfast love endures forever. You ready? Here we go. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. Give thanks to the God of gods. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, to whom alone does great wonders, to him by understanding made the heavens, to him who spread out the earth above the waters. To him who made the great lights, the sun to rule over the day, the moon and stars to rule over the night, to him who struck down the firstborn of Egypt, brought Israel out from among them with a strong hand and an outstretched arm. For him who divided the Red Sea in two and made Israel pass through the midst of it. Come on, you're getting tired. But overthrew Pharaoh and his host in the Red Sea. To him who led his people through the wilderness. To him who struck down great kings. And killed mighty kings, Sahan king of the Amorites, and Og king of Bashan, and gave their land as a heritage, a heritage to Israel his servant, it is he who remembered us in our lowest state. And rescued us from our foes. He who gives food to all flesh. Give thanks to the Lord of heaven. Give thanks to the Lord of heaven. One more time. Give thanks to the Lord of heaven. Father, we thank you for your love, God. We thank you for your steadfast, unconditional, unwavering love. God, we thank you that there's no expectation placed on us to cause us to earn that love. But to God, you're so rich in mercy and grace. God, we can trust you as a loving God. Lord, we thank you that your love never ceases. It always remains the same. Thank you for listening to audio from First Baptist Church of Conyers, located in Conyers, Georgia. For more information about First Baptist Conyers, please visit us online at firstconyers.com.